This is the Blossom of Thought podcast, a podcast about the body, mind, and soul. And your host is Impilo Kambule. Humanity has come a long way with uh, development from community to a state. And every time there is development to a state, there are issues that arise, such as governance. And one of the talking points around governance is good governance. And sometimes the people they are referred to, or a collection of people who are leading a country, may be said to be not having good governance. And some issues that arise also will include discussion around democracy. For centuries and centuries, this has been debated, talked about by statesmen, academic people. Many, many people have spoken about this, even people who just hear the concept and they say they demand democracy. In Swaziland, in recent times, the demand has been democracy and democracy now. Joining me today to talk about good governance is Dr. Matsebula. Dr. Matsebula has a PhD in political sociology. He has had various positions in academia and government in Australia, including international multilateral engagement in the Asia Pacific of Economic Cooperation Forum, APEC, G20, and OECD. He is also a founding member of PUDEMO, one of the largest liberation political formations in Swaziland. Dr. Matsebula, I now consider you as a friend of the show. I think this is the third time we have you here. It's always yes, exciting yes. to have you. Welcome. Yeah, I'm very excited to be back. And uh, thank you very much, Msutu, uh, for inviting me to join you and your listeners to talk about um, topics uh, that are very, very important for Swaziland. Uh, not not only for Swaziland, uh, but for, for Africa, for for the world. As you have said, we're going to be talking about uh, democracy and good governance uh, today. I, I'm very excited to, uh, to talk about these issues today. Let's just dive into it. Let's talk about democracy. I know good governance is more of one of the appendages of, of democracy, or as others will say, the cornerstone of democracy. What is a democracy? How will it look like in the kingdom of Sweden? Because the demand by the people suggests that there hasn't been democracy, even though people participate after every four or five years in elections. And now there are also elections suggesting, I mean, when you're standing from the outside, suggesting as if, oh, yeah, it's democracy at work. What is democracy? Yeah. Democracy is a very complex concept. We in Swaziland, uh, in the liberation uh, movement, we've been uh, uh, calling for democracy, we've been uh, demanding democracy, demanding uh, good governance. But we have not uh, actually teased out uh, this concept of democracy. I think uh, our episode today provides that opportunity for us to tease out this concept of our democracy uh, um, and say, well, what is it? Uh, how can we uh, visualize democracy as Swazis going forward? Uh, the concept democracy is a concept that was invented by, by the Greeks uh, to express a desire uh, for a system of government that is an outcome of the will of the people. That is very important, the outcome of the will of the people. I think that's an underlining uh, definition of our democracy uh, uh, as a system that is based on the rule of law and is designed to serve the public interest or the well-being of uh, the general public. Democracy is simply defined uh, as a system of government by the people and for the people. Uh, it is a system uh, in which the people have the power to participate in decision-making. Uh, also, the power to restrain the exercise of state power 
and this is critical to restrain the exercise of uh, state power uh, and to hold the government to account. Those are fundamental tenets of democracy. People in a democracy have the power to choose and remove a government. The, the separation of power between the three arms of government uh, is one of the distinguishing feature, features of our democracy. It's a feature that is only present in a democracy. It's not present uh, in an authoritarian uh, system, for example. In a nutshell, the people are at the center of of a democratic system. They are the policy and the government is the servant of the of the people. However, having said that, for democracy to have a foothold in a country, uh, the political ecosystem and supporting infrastructure must be established for democracy to have a foothold. Building a culture of, gov of good governance, which we will talk about today, uh, is one of the building blocks of our uh, democracy. Let me just say this, um, Suit. Having defined democracy, uh, what we, I, I've just um, uh, narrated as the key tenets of democracy, having done that, Swaziland's political system cannot be said to be a democracy, but authoritarian, because uh, the current system of Swaziland lacks all these tenets of a, a, a democracy. Uh, it, it is an authoritarian uh, system. Uh, I was actually reading the state of our democracy around the world report. I think I've sent you a caption of, of that. Oh, of uh, course. Go uh, ahead. Just go, go go straight to that so that people can differentiate between a, an authoritarian regime and a democracy. I think you have done a great job for the academics on the <laughs> defining yes, democracy. Yes. I'm sure you want to go... Uh, to the other side or the opposite, which is an authoritarian regime. Yes, yeah, uh, uh, absolutely. The report, which I was just referring to, uh, it classifies Swaziland as an authoritarian state uh, for uh, many reasons. Uh, one of the reasons is that the people of Swaziland have no power to choose or remove uh, the government. This power is vested in the king. And that is a definition of an authoritarian state where the people do not have the power to choose or remove uh, a government. Uh, in Swaziland, as you, your listeners know, uh, the, king, the king has the power to choose and remove uh, uh, government, not the people. He has the power over the three arms of uh, government. So the three arms of government, the, the executive, the legislature, and the judiciary are concentrated in the hands of a uh, of the king, and that makes Swaziland an authoritarian uh, state and not a democracy. There's been a lot of complaint about the government that there's a lot of looting. The state of affairs of the economy is bad. The healthy sector is terrible. You look left, right, and center, there's nothing that is promising. And that leads me to the question of good governance that I, we have mm, said mm, um, mm. in the outline that we'll talk about. How does good governance look like? And what could be its fruits? Because definitely the way things are, one can be probably justified in concluding that there is no good governance. It's bad governance in Swaziland. And yes, the yes. authoritarian regimes, they hardly bring about good governance. So tell us no. about good governance. Yeah. No, uh, and you're absolutely right. You know, authoritarian regimes are uh, defined by uh, the absence of good governance for the very same reasons that uh, power is concentrated in the hands of uh, 
an individual or few individuals. Uh, you cannot build the foundation of good governance on the basis of uh, authoritarianism, but you can only build the, the foundation of a good governance on a democratic uh, framework. So what is a governance there. The focus of, of our discussion today is, go, is going to be on public governance as opposed to corporate or organizational governance. So we, we, we will be talking about public governance. Uh, public governance can be defined in many ways. Uh, it can be defined broadly uh, or narrowly, but it generally applies to the ethical conduct of those entrusted with authority and the management of a public institution. You, in your question, uh, you, you mentioned that uh, you know, in Swaziland, uh, we're facing economic uh, hardship. Why are we facing economic hardship? Our healthcare system is collapsing. It's collapsing because the people who are entrusted with authority uh, to manage a public institution are not doing so. Uh, and therefore, we have seen the collapse of our good governance in, in Swaziland. So let me return to, to the definition of our good governance. It is about the conduct of public sector officials and institutions. The conduct of public sector institutions here is fundamental to the establishment of our good government. Uh, the conduct can be deemed uh, good or bad, appropriate or, 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 or wrong, depending on, uh, on well-established societal values and international principles. In simple terms, governance is about how a government governs a country and the way in which public institutions are structured. That is really fundamental. But uh, uh, having defined uh, good governance, uh, let me just say that in incest, governance is the manner in which power is exercised in the management of a country and its resources. Uh, it is also about the relationship between government and the public. And this is very important because if where there is absence of good governance, the relationship between the government and the public breaks down. So there is a, a loss of trust, public trust in the government if good governance has collapsed. I like the World Bank definition of our government because the World Bank provides a comprehensive definition of, our, of government. It argues that governance consists of the traditions and institutions by which authority in a country is exercised. The term authority keeps coming up uh, in definitions of our uh, governance. So the World Bank uh, says that governance in includes uh, the process by which governments are selected, the process by which governments are monitored and replaced, the capacity of the government to effectively formulate and implement sound policies. And lastly, the World Bank argues that governance includes the respect of citizens. And that is important. It means that uh, uh, the respect of human rights. When you have good governance, you have a, a well-established culture of respect of our human rights. Where you have good governance, you have a system by which the citizens of that country can monitor the conduct of government, can also replace government if the government is not serving the interests of uh, the broader uh, population. That's why I like the World Bank definition of governance, because it's very much comprehensive. Unfortunately, the people of Sweden do not have the power to replace government, because we've had a man that has been around for 
over 30 years and he's been running the show without any opposition. Any opposition, particularly your party, that has been attempted has been quashed and that has been the problem. And eventually uh, the powers of the monarch have stretched and stretched even to small corners such that people can no longer breed. But in your definition, there is some word that you mentioned, which I have interest in. Governance consists of the traditions and institutions by which authority in a country is exercised. Let us go back to this word authority. Who gives the authority? What is authority? Authority uh, is power to, to make decisions. So that's how that, that's authority. When people talk about authority, it's the power to make decisions, the power to take uh, particular actions. Who gives but the power? People are not born with uh, power and authority. They, they, they acquire it uh, through processes. So in a democracy, uh, the people gives the government uh, authority and power to do certain things uh, for the benefit of the broader uh, society. Then let's uh, rewind uh, and look at um, um, uh, the situation in Swaziland. I will argue, and I have argued before, that uh, you know the current government or the current system of, of government has has no mandate to govern because it, it, it the, the power it exercised or the authority it exercised today was not given to it by the people where did that authority come from that authority came from the uh, the 1973 uh, uh, king's proclamation when king soposa single handedly uh, repealed the uh, independence constitution of 1968 and uh, enacted uh, a law that um, concentrated power in himself so the authority soposa had the authority his son king Mswati has derives from the 1973 proclamation not from the people, not from the people. So hence, uh, I argue, and many people argue, that this is an illegitimate uh, government because it is not uh, based on the the will of the people. So King Mswati has never had authority to exercise the power because the people had not given him that authority, the power. In other words, he lacks legitimacy. And the one from whom he took power uh, to Kavin in Swaziland, King Soposa didn't have the authority to repeal the 1968 constitution. Therefore, from mm. then, from such action to the present day, the ruling regime has never had the legitimacy. Although people have uh, been hibernating and hibernated somehow through various clever or shrewd or cunning arts of King Soposa and eventually. King Mswati has been riding on such cunning art to lull the people and to make them think that the king has the authority to do whatsoever. Hence, a couple of times he has addressed the nation after the uprising in June in uh, June 29 of uh, 2020, excuse me, 2021. He said that everything in Swaziland is his. And I yeah. keep on going back to that because <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's using some and kind that of is, force. That is crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, let's move on with that after such analysis, because I think this is becoming more and more clear to anybody who may not be familiar with political science. Can I um, just come in there just very quickly? Uh, yes. so to, just, just to wind uh, up the, the, this concept of uh, um, uh, good governance. So um, uh, probably um, I'm ahead of you, you probably were going to ask the same the question that I'm going to ask. 
So what I want to do is just very briefly, uh, just uh, to look at the key pillars or the enablers of our good governance. So what enables uh, good governance to, to thrive and, support and thrive? Uh, so for good governance to, to thrive, uh, kind of I picked up about um, you know, seven pillars. Yeah. So the, the first one that you need to have is integrity. It's a culture of integrity and ethical conduct. Uh, 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 and this is important. I've been talking about this uh, for, for quite a long time. And I've actually talked about integrity and ethical conduct in relation to liberation politics. So what does integrity mean? Integrity simply means the quality of being honest and showing commitment to moral principles by behaving ethically and appropriate. And that's a, a pillar. That's a, a key pillar of our good governance. The second one is the separation of powers and cooperation between the three arms of, of government. Uh, we talk about the separation of powers uh, most of the time, but we don't look at the, the other aspect, which is the cooperation. Cooperation between the, the three arms of government. They can be separated, they, they, they can work independently. But for good governance to thrive, the three arms of government needs to uh, work cooperate. The other pillar is checks and balances. Checks and balances are very important. Uh, and the separation of powers doctrine uh, provides the checks and balances. The checks and balances means that they are institutions uh, in a democracy that holds government to account. So there are people who hold government uh, to account, but there are institutions such as parliament. Parliament, the role of parliament is to hold government to account, uh, not only to make laws, but to hold government to account. The judi judiciary is to make sure that uh, a government conducts its business according to the law. So it basically is holding the executive uh, to account. The other uh, pillars of good governance is accountability, um, to be account accountable to, uh, uh, to the people. In Swaziland, uh, I would say uh, accountability to the people doesn't exist. The government is not accountable to the people. The parliament is not accountable to the people. The judiciary is not accountable to the people, but to the king. They are only accountable to the king. They are not accountable to the people because there is no mechanism uh, for the people to hold a government to account. To there hold no the king to account. To hold, to hold the king to, to account. account as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there is no mechanism for for us to do that. And of course, uh, we we need transparency or open government to build good governance. Uh, respect for human uh, human rights, which I've already mentioned, the rule of law and commitment to constitutionalism uh, is, is important. So those are the key pillars of our good governance or enablers of good governance to, to try. Anybody listening may think that you are just speaking of a foreign concept when you talk about integrity, talking about, let me see, ethical conduct, accountability, checks and balances, separation of powers. And mm -hmm. I think that's, a, that's foreign. That's, you know, Swazis have been schooled in this way, according to Sopuza's traditionalism, <laughs> that this is Swazi, this is unswazi. So it's easy for people to think of political parties, think of this concept as foreign concept. Let us dive into African culture and the prominent in this is what we call Ubuntu. I want us to, I want you to analyze through the lens of African culture, Ubuntu, which is expressed in this philosophy, I am because you are, 
because you are, therefore I am. How do we define good governance through the lens of the African? Because we have to zero things down to the African analysis. We are a people, mm-hmm. we have got a history. Europeans mm-hmm. have a tendency of making their history as if it's world history. And yes, I want yes. us, yes, the concept of good governance, ethical conduct and all stuff, that those are universal principles. And as mm-hmm. we question that. But let us speak of these ethical conduct and good governance through the lens of the African, namely the spirit of Ubuntu. Yes, yes. Uh, Amongst uh, others. I thank thank you for raising that uh, question uh, because, um, you know, what uh, I've uh, discussed uh, in terms of democracy, in terms of good governance, although, you know, the concept of democracy was uh, invented by by the Greeks, but, you know, it it existed in, in other uh, societies, traditional societies. So good governance, the, the, uh, the elements of good governance, they are not mutually exclusive uh, from African, you know, values. Uh, the, let me say, uh, our culture, our Swazi cultural values. These principles of our good governance are not, uh, are not mutually exclusive. They share common uh, aspects. Uh, for example, I, I will, you know, the, the, the whole concept of Ubuntu is about respect, respecting each other, uh, respecting the rights of, uh, of other people that we live with in the community. Ubuntu is about uh, looking after each other. That is Ubuntu. And, and when we talk about good governance, we talk about um, uh, uh, democracy. This is about the people, that a, a government that is elected by the people has to deliver uh, for the people, has to look after the people. So you can see the relationship there uh, between, you know, this modern uh, concept and uh, our traditional uh, value. I was born and grew up in a community, in a rural community. I was brought up with uh, uh, the spirit of Ubuntu, respect, respecting uh, elders, looking after each other. Uh, in the community, we had community meetings uh, to, to deal with uh, issues within the community, uh, to hold people to account, uh, people who are in a community leadership. Uh, traditionally, the, the chiefs uh, in our communities, we held them to account. If they, they did wrong, we held them to account. We had, um, you know, those structures uh, traditionally that we used to hold uh, leaders to account. But unfortunately, those structures have been eroded, have been eroded by uh, the 1973 uh, proclamation. Uh, they've been eroded by, by the monarchy. An example of how the, the monarchy has eroded the, those values is the failure of the government led by the monarchy to look after the people of Swaziland. We have uh, uh, high levels of uh, poverty in Swaziland because the monarchy has been stealing public funds for, for, for itself. Instead of uh, distributing these public funds to help lower uh, poverty rates. So we have um, high levels of poverty uh, today in Swaziland because of the large proportion of uh, uh, public spending going to the monarch. That is not the spirit of Ubuntu. Stealing uh, from others is not the spirit of Ubuntu. It's not our culture as Swazis. So the monarchy has uh, moved away from the, uh, the Swazi culture to uh, something else, which I don't know, by stealing, stealing from the people. 
stealing from the, the poor. It's that a nature of it's a nature of petty bourgeoisies or bourgeoisies to steal because people are are not valued, but you value profits yeah. more than people. Well, you're speaking about it, it, the monarchy. And it is more than to, <laughs> Yeah, you're speaking about the monarchy and its failure to adhere to these ideals, good governance, and also failure in a sustained way uh, adhere to the spirit of Ubuntu or to this culture of the African. The next question that I have is, democracy possible under a constitutional monarch system dominated by the Lamini royal family dynasty? You know, there's been talks around the world. In fact, the debates have become hotter and hotter in the UK, where people are asking the questions, are monarchs still relevant today? Is the British monarch? Mm-hmm. This is an institution that has been reverenced for a long time. You can't say a negative word against the monarchy over the centuries and at least for the even for the past few decades. But in this decade, 2010, coming up to the 20s, 2022, now the debates are becoming more and more intense. The question is this constitutional monarch relevant? Can we say we want to be like Lesotho? and have a constitutional monarch and still keep the monarch. Can we say, mm. is the institution of the Swazi monarch relevant in Swazi politics today? Um, I have uh, made my views uh, <laughs> publicly known uh, in relation um, uh, uh, to the monarchy. Uh, we formed Idemo on the basis of uh, launching uh, a political revolution uh, in Swazi. Uh, revolution uh, means... Uh, different things to different people. Uh, but, but for us, revolution, it means a massive restructure of the political landscape, not reforms, but a massive restructure of the political landscape. Clearly, uh, we cannot pin our hope for a new political dispensation on the monarchy regime. Uh, whatever, whatever forms it takes. Today, we're talking about an absolute monarchy uh, system. There is no a question about that. Uh, although some some people uh, in the royal family they, they they're still talking uh, about democracy that uh, so it's a democracy and that uh, to be honest uh, uh, is rubbish because democracy doesn't exist in Switzerland. There have been different views, different views uh, in terms of uh, what uh, are we fighting for uh, and um, what post liberation Switzerland will look like. Some people um, have advocated for uh, the adoption of a, a constitutional monarchy. Uh, some people have advocated for the complete revo- uh, removal of the monarchy system and its replacement um, with democracy. Uh, that's where we in PDMO sit. We sit in the complete removal of the monarchy, in the overthrow of the monarchy. In my view, a democracy is not possible. It's not possible under uh, the monarchy system. Swaziland needs a clean slate to repeat. And it, that, that's my strongest message to, uh, to the people of Swaziland, that we cannot build democracy uh, on the perimeters of uh, the monarchy. And I will explain this. We need to give Swaziland and the people of Swaziland a chance to repeat, to repeat the, this country to rebuild their lives, to rebuild the, the, the economy. We need a new social contract as Swazis. We need a new social contract based on the will of the people. Because we don't have a social contract uh, now, right now. We never had a social contract since 1973. We need a, 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 that new social contract. My reasons 
and then uh, allow me just uh, to to go through uh, the reason why uh, uh, a constitutional monarchy is bad for democracy and progress. Mm. The absolute monarchy is very bad for, for Swaziland. But I just want to address this particular issue, uh, especially to those who advocate for a constitutional monarchy, why a constitutional monarchy is bad for uh, post-liberation democracy and progress. So one, you will have the king. If you have the constitutional monarchy, the king will be will remain the head of our state. Will continue to interfere with state affairs. And if that happens, then we actually are not starting on a new slate because we have this person uh, as a head of state that has been a head of state for for many years, uh, continuing to interfere with the state affairs. Uh, two, the monarchy is an economic liability. It will continue to be an economic liability under a constitutional uh, arrangement. Uh, look at other countries, uh, uh, the UK, for example. Although the UK ha has no written constitution, but they've got an uh, unwritten constitution that the monarchy is, a, you know, the UK is a constitutional monarchy. Look at the, the budget for, for the monarchy too. The UK monarchy is, is smaller, but uh, it owns large uh, uh, properties. So we don't want that in Swaziland. The monarchy uh, is too costly to maintain. Uh, and also, uh, when we look at, at the floating public debt uh, in Swaziland, exploding public debt, the monarchy is largely responsible for that. Uh, national debt, as, as a percentage of our GDP, remains very large in Swaziland. We're talking here uh, this year, as, of, as at end of April 2022. And these figures come from the uh, Swazen uh, Central Bank. Swazen has got a, a total a debt of uh, 26.9 billion rands. That's what the country uh, is owing. The country's debt continues to, to grow, but the income the country is generating is declining. So the country is not living within its means. We need to do something about this. So that's why Pidemo has a position on this, that uh, we are not going to spend public money on the royal family uh, if we, we take over government. Pidemo has got a, um, a very clear position on, on the monarchy and that um, uh, in post-liberation, we are not going to spend public money to, uh, to, to support the, the monarchy. The monarchy is a system uh, uh, that is characterized by bad political values, which are incompatible with values of our good governance. So if the monarchy is maintained post-liberation, it is likely that it will pollute the new political landscape. We don't want that. Uh, the monarchy has got a strong culture of corruption and dishonestly, uh, as I've I, I already uh, discussed. It, it, traditional structures linked to the monarchy, such as the chiefdom, will continue to control land and oppress people in rural areas if uh, the monarchy is uh, maintained post-liberation. These are the reasons that we should not keep the monarchy in any shape or form post-liberation. Post-liberation should be clearly characterized by new arrangements, new social contracts without the monarchy, because the, the monarchy system cannot exist or coexist with a, a democracy. Well put, uh, Dr. Matsebula.
you know, you remind me of uh, Malcolm X. He is famed of saying great things. He was a, a great orator who was able to take complex concepts and simplify them. He once spoke about the capitalist system. And I know King Umswati is a capitalist. And uh, we, the same thing can be said of him in what Malcolm X said. Malcolm X said, show me a capitalist. I will show you a blood sucker. Yes. King Umswati, the monarchy, these are blood suckers. So as them cannot live with them, in my judgment, I tend to agree with you. And that's why now there's so much suffering, so much death, and so much death too, because mm-hmm. of a healthy system. These blood suckers cannot coexist with the people because one of them has to consume the other, which is this capitalist or this uh, monarch. They mm-hmm. have destroyed the country, in my judgment. By way of conclusion, let's talk about post-liberation democracy. What would liberation success look like in five years after the democratization of the Kingdom of Swaziland? Will you just give us your concluding remarks, but around it? Thank you once again, and so too, I will just uh, uh, give an overview uh, of my thoughts. What will be the, the measures of our success in a post-liberation political disposition? So if we were talking about democracy, uh, let's say, how are we going to know that um, uh, democracy is succeeding post-liberation? So what I have done, I've uh, put together 10 uh, measures of our success that uh, the people of Swaziland can use or the political organization or parties can use. These uh, 10 uh, measures of, of success are not exhaustive. Uh, you know, others can come uh, up with theirs. But for me, uh, the first one would be, uh, let's say, five years after liberation. Uh, how, how would we know that we are succeeding? For me, the, the, the first measure of success would be uh, an annual GDP growth of uh, 6% or above. That Swaziland has had that 6% or above GDP growth. Uh, with uh, infrastructure development and job creation as high priority within that uh, growth, Trajectory because you can have uh, economic growth, but if that growth is not producing jobs, so it, it is actually not, you know, uh, um, serving the you know the interests of the uh, of the country. So we need job-rich growth. That that's what we we will need in Swaziland. Uh, the second um, measure is to bring down unemployment rate to uh, a single digit and to set a trend towards full em- employment. Unemployment in Swaziland is unacceptably high, especially amongst uh, uh, young people. We need uh, to bring down unemployment to uh, at least a, a single digit. The third point is um, after the five-year period to see improved health care service, uh, to actually see growth investments in new healthcare infrastructure as a priority. So that is a, that's very important. The fourth point is um, to see a significant progress on trans- transitioning the economy to digital production uh, and services through improved access to high-speed internet. Internet, high-speed internet is going to play a very critical role in our economic growth in the future. So we need to invest more in, in developing the internet infrastructure. The, the fifth point 
is improved fiscal management through smart and targeted public uh, investment. I was talking about debt uh, a while ago. Um, it's okay to have debt, but you need to have uh, a, re a reasonable level of debt. And the debt, you must use debt to invest in, in targeted areas of e economic growth. Uh, the sixth point is transformation of public sector of the, the public sector into an ethical profession, ethical professional body committed to serving the government of the day and the public. So the, the role of the, the public sector has to be redefined, that the, uh, the public sector is serving the government of the day and also is serving uh, the public. So that has to be uh, the, the priority. The seventh point is improved quality of education and access. Without improved quality of education, you're not going to produce the skills the economy requires to develop. So education is very important for future economic uh, growth. Uh, you need to produce the skills that we need uh, to boost productivity. Because if you don't have this, you know, the necessary skills, then uh, productivity um, will either decline or remain stagnant. And that's not good for economic growth. The eighth point is to see uh, efficiency and honesty. Uh, in government, supported by the uh, system of checks and balances, accountability and trans uh, transparency. Uh, this is good governance. Uh, after five years uh, um, of liberation, uh, I want to see uh, a well-established framework of uh, good governance. The, the ninth point uh, is um, to see a, a functioning multi-party democracy, and that is important. Uh, functioning multi-party democracy evidenced by the separation of powers and collaboration between the three arms of, of government, but also evidenced by active political parties. Uh, most importantly, active and functioning opposition political parties to hold the governing party to account. Uh, lastly, but not least, in my 10-point measure of success is to see reduced poverty and uh, increased access to opportunities for all. No one uh, should be left behind or held back uh, in the true spirit of Ubuntu and the United Nations Sustainable Deve Development Goals. So after five years of liberation, poverty rates must have declined significantly. Opportunities ma must have been opened for everyone. Thank you so much, Dr. Matsabola. I've listened attentively to those 10 points they look like many points. People like to narrow things down to one or two or three. But to me, they are very comprehensive. They are interlinked and very realistic and are attainable when you have people that uh, believe in ethical conduct and have a drive to achieve such ideals, which are not uh, some ideals that uh, exist somewhere in utopia. These are really things we have seen in the world. When there's no interference from outside, people have the resolution to live better lives, to have a government that is put in power by them, and also they have the power to remove that government. That government mm -hmm. goes on to to uh, you know to produce marvelous things for them, such that there's plenty for everyone. You know they're able to get the education they need, they're able to get the jobs they need, they're able to provide for their families, which is uh, basic things. And maybe someday we will have to talk about just a separation of powers and stuff like that, because we've mentioned mm. such things. But that's what we've been talking about today: good governance as an appendage of democracy. And uh, democracy is just the power of the people to decide 
who to govern them and to decide when to remove or put the person in power. Dr. Mm, mm, Matsabula, mm. thank you so much. Any parting shots before we go? For me, th- thank you very much, uh, Msoto, for this opportunity to discuss this um, uh, very important uh, uh, topics. Uh, um, these are topics that I, I, I'm passionate about. My message today is to the liberation uh, organizations in Swaziland. To start uh, talking about these very topics that we discussed today, good governance, democracy, uh, uh, unpack all, all those concepts, and also a vision for, for, for Swaziland. How are they going to measure uh, success? Uh, for me, it is very important for the liberation politics uh, uh, in Swaziland to start building those foundations so that when they get into uh, to government, they've already got those foundations. Let's talk and practice democracy within our own organizations. Let's engage the people of Sozen in those discussions. But the most important thing, lastly, is that please find a way of working together. Please stop uh, fighting amongst uh, uh, each other, because by doing so, uh, we are delaying the the liberation struggle. We, We are giving ammunition to the enemy. So cooperation is very important. We have got different ideas and different views and different uh, uh, approaches. Let us appreciate those differences and work together. Thank you so much, uh, Doctor. I always want you to put yourself out there and how people can reach out to you who may want to talk one-on-one with you or maybe for advisory purposes, an organization, a civil society group, whatsoever, whosoever wants to contact you. How may they? Yeah. The, um... I, uh, as you mentioned uh, in your introduction, I, uh, I live in Australia, so I can be contacted through WhatsApp. WhatsApp is the most effective uh, and efficient way to uh, engage with me. So the the number is uh, plus six one, uh, which is the Australian code. Then four one zero zero seven nine zero six four. The number again is plus six one. Thank you so much, Doctor. This has been a very enlightening discussion. Hopefully, you will continue coming back. As I said in the in the beginning, that you are a friend of the show. People like you, we want to have and have a great discussion about issues of Swaziland and nation building. Have a very good day. I know it's good day in Australia. I think it's about (laughs) three p.m. or so. To me, it's 11.30 p.m. Thank you very much. I'll be delighted to join your show next time.